Kairos, one more time, 2020-2021 school year. What's up? It's so good to be with you, whether you're here in the room or if you are joining us online uh, in Iowa City or wherever you might be, I'm so glad that you're here. We say it all the time at Hope, and we absolutely mean it. We believe it's no accident that you're here. We've been praying for you, and so it is just an absolute pleasure to worship with you tonight. My name is Danny Householder. I'm the campus pastor here at Lutheran Church of Hope and Ames, and as always, I get to tell you that I get to be a part of Kairos as well. And uh, Kairos is a really fun thing, is it not? I am so happy that we've been able to go through this school year together. It has been absolutely wild. Um, was anybody with us when we were in the park? Take a look at this. Who, go ahead and stand on up if you were with us in the park. Yeah, yeah go, give God praise. That's fine. Actually, let's do it this way. Everybody's here tonight. So if you're here present and you're able, stand up. Will you do that? Okay, cool. Awesome. Perfect. You're here. You're present. You can stand. Some people in the balcony are like, oh, I'm not standing. I'm looking at you. Yeah, all right. You know, okay. So you're here tonight. Now, if, if you are in the park with us in the fall, go ahead and stay standing. Okay, okay, cool. I tell you what, no, it's not a shame thing. A lot of your high school students were so glad that you're back, but where were you? Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Was anybody, raise your hand if you were there the night when it was 40 degrees, blowing wind, and pouring rain. Yes. Oh my goodness. Let's never relive that again. Holden was sweating all night long as he saw our equipment being rained on. Oh, man, that was a wreck of a night. Now, all right, remain standing if you were with us at Kairos of the Campanile eight months ago. Was that another fun night? That was so fun. I loved that. I had a good time. Now, all right, now we're starting to get down to the roots, okay? Stay standing if you were with us last year when we used to meet in The Link on Lincoln Way. I thought that room looks pretty fun, but it also looks terrifying in a pandemic world, doesn't it? Like, ah, you know, like, oh, don't sneeze in that room. Anybody else remember this door back here every now and then? We'd have random people, like, start shaking the doors, wondering what's going on inside. It wasn't distracting during a sermon at all. No way. All right, now stay standing. If you were with us in the old link on Stang Road, yeah, come on. Back in the day when we seriously were just tearing down walls. This used to be a wall right here, and then we painted the word injustice on it. I'm not kidding. And then we tore it down because we are about, about breaking down walls of injustice. This office, I know it's kind of weird, but it was fun. This office came out. It was crazy. I mean, it was amazing. Now, we're really getting down to the roots of it. Stay standing. If you were with us our first year in the old link when it was really just an office space, and it looked like this. Oh, give a round of applause for these people. I tell you what, man. All right, one more. Our first ever Kairos was in this room. It's because we had nowhere else in Ames to rent. And we had about 40 people that could fit in the first four rows. It was painfully awkward. Were any of you there that night? Oh, come on. It's amazing. Yeah. What a journey we've been on. You can go ahead and take a seat. Uh, those of you who are standing, so you're seniors, and we love you so much. And uh, we're going to miss you like crazy, but you are always welcome here, and we would love to worship with you. Kairos, man, we have been through this incredible journey with lots of crazy turning points, and that's part of what makes an amazing story, is it not? Think about the greatest stories and the turning points that they have. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Everything changed. There's a turning point, right? Uh, there's the turning point in every single story. Katniss volunteers as tribute, right? Turning point. Everything changes. Nothing can be the same in the story. Hagrid says to Harry, you wizard, Harry. Nothing can ever stay the same. John B. finds the compass, and Outer Banks was forever changed. You know what I mean? 
never be the same. Anybody else here just anxiously awaiting, like watching Netflix every month? Outer Banks. Outer Banks. You got a little, you got a little bit of a twitch now because you can't, can't stop watching it? Man, John B. Not John. John B. And you can call me Danny. You can call me Danny H. from now on. I still, I still don't get that. That does tie in well, though, to our finale of our series, the finale of our school year, as we're talking about before and after. Before and after, it's a turning point. It's what changes our stories. And Kairos has absolutely had many turning points. When I first moved to Ames, we had a few months of planning and thinking and dreaming. But the turning point was you. You showed up. And you were filled with the Holy Spirit. And you couldn't keep that to yourself. And so you shared that with the people around you. And look at this. This is insane. 40 people were here. There was one night where we left and I was so discouraged. I'm like, oh, this is, where's, I'm going to lose my job. This is terrible. No one's ever going to come. But there was somebody that night who reminded me, even if it was just for one, even if it was a turning point for just one person, it would be well worth it. The turning point is you all. You showed up. Kairos would be a very sad place if you did not show up. My life on Wednesday nights have been forever changed because of you all. My life has been changed because of you all. If you ever wonder if you've made an impact on somebody, you have made an impact on me. Thank you for being that turning point for Kairos, for me, for the people who are around you. The Bible is full of turning points. God's story is full of turning points. And we're focusing in this before and after series on the greatest turning point in all of history. It's Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It is this incredible plot twist. Long time ago, there were some friends of Jesus who thought that their, that their, their friend, Jesus, this poor Jewish man who had radical teachings on love and service, would go around and then he was killed. But the thing is, is he didn't just claim to be a teacher, he also claimed to be God. And so then there are these women who show up to the tomb. They're friends of Jesus. They show up to the tomb. And to their great surprise, there's this incredible turning point. They thought that their friend Jesus' story was over forever. And then everything changes. We read an angel appears to them and says, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't there. He has risen from the dead. It's a turning point and it changes absolutely everything. As the women are running away, it says in simultaneous great fear and great joy. They can't, they can't even begin to fathom what they've just seen. It says that Jesus meets them. And in the original Greek, it says that he just said, greetings. Isn't that awesome? It's almost like Jesus is not surprised by his turning point. He's not surprised by his power. He knows the power that his love has to turn everything around. To be the turning point in a story, and nothing can be the same again. It wasn't the same for those people back then. It's not the same for us anymore either. Everything changes on this turning point. There is a before, there is an after, because of this turning point that changed everything in all of history. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Peter and his turning point, his before and after. We talked about Saul, who turned into Paul, his before and after. But tonight, I think that we need to get personal. Jesus rose from the dead, and then he walked around for 40 different days, right? For 40 consecutive days. And he shows up to hundreds of people, especially his disciples, over and over again. They're starting to get comfortable, but all of a sudden, there's yet another plot twist. Jesus, risen from the dead, they're reunited with their teacher, their Messiah, their best friend, the lover of their hearts. And here's another plot twist. Jesus ascends into heaven, but before he does, he's going away once again. He tells them this. I will be with you always. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
There's a plot twist inside of the plot twist. Jesus says, I'm going away. Plot twist. I was here for 40 days. I'm leaving. Plot twist. But plot twist, I'm still with you always. Even until the end of the age. What a beautiful promise that is. What an important promise that is. Because there are the big changing points, the turning points in all of our stories. But as scary as those can be, we can't avoid them, can we? And Jesus promises, while everything changes in your life, this won't. Plot twist. Here's what will always remain the same. And because of it, everything will be different for you. I'm always with you. We can't help it. Our lives are constantly changing. There are turning points everywhere. My family, we were in the Zoom meeting with, uh, with one another a few nights ago. And my, my brother and sister-in-law's daughter, who's like three and a half months old, her name is Addison. She's so cute. I, I tell you about her all the time, but I can't help it, okay? I can't help it. And then we're in the Zoom video, we're in the Zoom meeting, and she can't stop staring at her hands. She's just staring at her hands. And John said, yeah, she found her hands the other day. I'm like, oh! Like, there was a time when you became aware of your hands, and it changed everything. Whoa, this is incredible. Then you started to get older, and things changed again. Your parents dropped you off at school. Where are you leaving me? They start teaching you things, and your mind's developing, and you're holding on to all sorts of new lessons. Your life is changing. There's turning points. In fifth grade, they start telling you about all these changes your body's going to go through. You're like, my body's going to what? I can't get this song out of my head. In fifth grade, they played this for us every single day. Just around the corner. Anybody a Just Around the Corner product? Oh, man. I, hopefully they stopped showing that because it was old when I was in fifth grade. But in either way, they're like, okay, this is going to happen. Your body's going to change. This is going to happen. Things you didn't know you were going to talk about at Kairos. Am I right? But here's what's going to happen. And some of you right now are like, it hasn't happened to me yet. You know. And it happened. For me, 25 years old, my voice finally cracks. I'm like, victory. You know. It starts happening. Then you get older, and one day, eventually, you walk across the stage, and you're graduating from high school. Seniors who are here tonight from high school, we're so glad that you're here. That's an experience you're about to have. Life is changing before you. And they, give, they make like a huge deal out of it, such a huge deal out of it that they give you a bunch of speeches telling you how big of a deal that day is. I was doing some online research for some, uh, some motivational graduation speeches to try to tie into tonight's message, but instead I found one that was downright depressing. And this is what one student read to his classmates in Vermont. He read about change. Everything is changing. Some good, mostly bad. <laughs> we cherish this moment because we can never return. People write songs about being young forever. For the rest of our lives, we will long to be here again. Desperately crying through the night, hoping to be young. As we shriek, no one will hear our voices that grow faintingly weak with age. One day, we might realize that we are dying, but the truth is, we are already dying. <laughs> our cells are reproducing, but they are also dying. Every breath is closer to your last, so let's make the most of this one, class of 2014. <laughs> Can you imagine if you were in that class? Everything is changing. I went to a college, I went on a college visit uh, when I was a senior in high school. It happened to be the same weekend that college freshmen were moving in. And you're seeing all these things and people are moving in. It seems like this pleasant and wonderful experience. And then I also happened to walk in on the ceremony where the parents are going to separate from the kids. The speaker on stage says, all right, parents, it's time to leave. And it's like a war. I mean, like children are being yanked from their parents. Like, mom, dad, no time for class. 
Like, it took me just an instant to know I'm not going to attend college there. That's not going to happen. I'm not going through that. But you remember that. Like, like, like I didn't think it was going to be so emotional. I didn't think it was going to be so hard to go through this turning point, this change. Everything's changing. But then right when you start to get used to it, you realize that your friends here can become somewhat like family. Like, they're not just friends, right? I mean, these are comrades. These are people who have seen the worst of you. And these are the people that you've seen the absolute worst of, right? Like, these are platoon members that you have charged through the school year with, especially this last school year. You're looking at one another right now, and you're like, oh, I remember that night back in November. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you start to grow close. In over four years, you have some relationships that start and end, but you're amazed. And then as soon as you start to get used to it, plot twist, end of spring semester, some of you graduate, some of you are going away for the summer. Like, what's happening? Why is everything changing so often and so quickly? It seems like the only consistency in life is its inconsistency. Everything is continuing to change. It happens. I'm here to tell you tonight that there is still an anchor for your soul. The Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 46 about God, that, there, that God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help us in times of trouble. Jesus wants to show you how faithful he is to his promise. When everything's changing, this doesn't change. You've got a power and a love stored inside your heart that will never go away. And it is with you until the end of everything, until the end of the age. When you're in trouble, when you're celebrating, when you're happy, when you're sad, God is your refuge and your strength, ready to help. Jesus promises you, I'm with you until the end of the age. You get this new sense of confidence, right? When you really believe that someone strong loves you. You know what I mean? I grew up a NASCAR fan. I love NASCAR. I've probably told way too many NASCAR stories to you all. If you're a senior, you've heard me tell NASCAR stories for four straight years. But I want to tell you another one. When I was, oh goodness, I think that this was toward the end of college, my brother had recently started a job with NASCAR. I grew up going to NASCAR, and I don't know why that showed up behind me. (laughs) I need my slides. (laughs) We know I need my slides. Uh, But I grew up a NASCAR fan, and toward the end of college, my brother took a job with NASCAR. He's a producer, um, and uh, he makes lots of documentaries for Fox Sports and NBC Sports and and all those different things. But when he started, he he was with NASCAR. And I loved going to NASCAR races growing up. But when I would go to the NASCAR race, before the race, you walk around a whole lot, and then there's a certain place where you can't cross. Like, it's the place where it's VIP access only. And there's a gate. And beyond this gate is where the drivers exist. And so I would oftentimes walk up to this gate and see if I could just get a glimmer of Jeff Gordon, the rainbow warrior himself. And maybe sometimes I'd see him from a far distance, but I couldn't get beyond this gate. Then my brother started working for NASCAR, and he invited me to a race with him one time, and he had this very powerful card. Uh, NASCAR, maybe they're not super creative. They just called it a hard card. It was literally hard, and it could get you anywhere at the track. And so I'm with John, and we're walking around before the race, and we get to this gate that I always have to stop at. I'm like, okay, well, here's where we stop. This is just how it goes, right? 
And in the past, I would just kind of stand there like nervously waiting, like, please, let me see, please. Oh, I don't know, you know, nervous. But John goes, hey, let's go. John, we can't go there. I got this card. I got this pass. He shows it to the gate attendant. He says, oh, yeah, come on through. And John says, and, and he's with me. I kid you not, I sat in a chapel service one foot away from Jeff Gordon. He has a terrible singing voice. But I sat next to him. It was amazing. All of a sudden, I'm going into this place, and I've got this power because of this person who is committed to me, because of this person who cared for me. It is amazing when someone is so strong but also loves you. When there is an immeasurable strength that can get you to places that you could never go before, and that immeasurable strength loves you, it changes everything. It gives you a sense of fearlessness. It gives you a new sense of confidence. Jesus has immeasurable strength. You heard this at the beginning of the reading for tonight. He says it in Matthew 28. On the next slide. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He's saying, I've got a lot of power But he doesn't abuse his power, he shares his power. In fact, he talks about serving. What he says to his disciples just a few chapters before in the book of Matthew is, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Last week we talked about Saul who turned into Paul and he lived his life knowing that there was this immeasurable strength that was committed to him and loved him. And he writes this in the book of Galatians where it says, I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You have an immeasurable strength that also immeasurably loves you. And this can give you a kind of confidence that can take away your fears This is the only solution for it. Jesus promises to be with that when he says, I'm with you to the end of the age. Immeasurable strength is with you throughout your entire story. In Acts chapter 7, we touched on this very briefly last week, but there was a man named Stephen who knew this strength and knew this love that was committed to him. Stephen, when we find him in Acts chapter 7, he's preaching a sermon for his life. Stephen believed in Jesus, which was very uh, uh, controversial for people back then, especially for a Jewish man like Stephen. He's preaching a sermon for his life because he's preaching to the Jewish establishment, and if he cannot win them over in his sermon, they're going to kill him. And the sermon's not going very well. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's saying everything right, but it's angering people. He's telling them that you can't get to God, but God has come to you. There is an immeasurable strength that immeasurably loves you. It's not about what you can do, but what God has done for you. It's not about you writing your own story, but the author of life coming into your story. And they're hating him for it. And as Stephen starts to realize that he's going to die because the sermon's not going as they would want it to hear, he doesn't freak out. He stays calm. He keeps peace. The Bible says that he gazed steadily into heaven and he saw the glory of God. Look, I see the heaven open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. What did he see? What did Stephen see? Stephen saw immeasurable strength seated at the throne of the universe. Jesus Christ seated at the throne of the universe. All-powerful in love with him. 
He knew what people were condemning him with. He knew, that the la- he knew about the lack of value that his oppressors thought about his life. He knew they hated him. But his foundation wasn't built on them, was it? How do you see what Stephen saw? How do you keep that peace? See, to a certain degree, Stephen understood that immeasurable strength loved him immeasurably. And it was the turning point in his story. He knew the God who loved him and gave himself for Stephen. And this was his foundation. What's your foundation? I think the greatest temptation in my life is to build my foundation on things that can't support me. Just last week, exactly a week ago from today, I woke up and I stepped on the tiniest little piece of wood. And I stepped on it and just the tiniest little piece of that tiny little piece of wood pierced into the bottom of my foot. And I get the tiniest little splinter. And for 45 minutes, I worked at this thing. I'm going to get it out. I couldn't get it out. I tried again later in the afternoon. I couldn't get it out. Last night at Kairos, you wouldn't believe it. I was so courageous, I stood before you with a splinter in the bottom of my foot. Every single like 10 steps or something, if you heard me give an extra hallelujah or wince, it's because I felt some pain in my right foot. So I felt like, okay, maybe I can get through this. I can get by it. I'm putting all my weight on this splinter. But by the next morning, I couldn't even put my foot on the ground without just screaming, ah, oh. Finally, I had to take the, the, I had to uh, make the very embarrassing call to a foot and ankle doctor and say, I have a splinter in my foot. Can you help me? Do you know how embarrassing it is to walk into a doctor's office at 28 years old and say, please help me with my boo-boo? Meanwhile, I get to the doctor, I'm explaining to them, uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm the one who called about the splinter, and I can hear down the hall the doctor saying, okay, so your ankle's shattered. I'm like, great, this is what I'm compared to when I walk in, right? I go into the room, and I'm telling her, yes, I'm here for a splinter. She's kind of scraping it out, and as she finally gets it, she says, oh, there's the little guy. (sighs) She puts it down, she talks to me a little more, I'm like, hey, can I see that splinter? She turns around, she tries to find it, she's like, oh, I can't find it. I guess it's just too little, I just disappeared. (laughs) It was microscopic. It was no bigger than a millimeter. But you know what the problem was? I was putting all my weight on it. And this thing was not big enough to take all of my weight. It was not strong enough to be my foundation. You could take that little sliver, millimeter and all, and you could chuck it at me as hard as you possibly could, and it wouldn't hurt me. But when I make it my foundation, it's excruciating. Meanwhile, if you take this concrete block and you throw this at me, it would cause great damage. This could crush so many tiny little wood splinters. But if I make it my foundation, it'll support me. What's your foundation? What have you chosen to support you? Are you making a good thing your ultimate thing? When good things become our ultimate things, no matter how good they are, it, maybe he or she, whatever it might be, They might be good, but they can't support you. Stephen knew the only one in the entire universe who was strong enough to be the foundation for his entire life. Jesus Christ is God 
who loves him and gave himself for him. And the same is true for you. Stephen knew what his foundation was on. And it's why he had this sense of fearlessness. And the same can be true for you. Because Jesus loves Stephen and gave himself for Stephen. And Jesus loves you and gives himself for you. He loves you. How do you get to that place where you can make Jesus your foundation? What are the things that we do? Well, let's go back to what Jesus said about his resurrection in Matthew chapter 28. You've heard plenty of people talk about their interpretation about what the resurrection of Jesus means. If you've ever sat in a church before, you've heard somebody tell about what Jesus' victory over death, what it means. But this is what Jesus thinks the resurrection of Jesus means. These are from his own mouth. And he says, be sure of this, I'm with you always. This is the turning point. I am with you always. It's a surprise. It's a plot twist. But it's even deeper than that. The greatest stories, there's plot twist after plot twist after plot twist after plot twist. It goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. There's something even deeper about this. Jesus isn't just talking to one person when he says this. He's talking to a crowd of people. But in the Greek, it's not a singular you. It's, it's a plural you. Of course, he's talking to a larger group of people. We don't have a proper plural word for you in English unless you're from Texas. You can say y'all. If you're not from Texas and you try to say y'all, it doesn't quite work and people look at you funny. But nonetheless, they had a word for plural you. Jesus says, I'm with y'all. <laughs> it didn't sound right coming out of my mouth. But Jesus uh, goes into all cultures, including Texan culture, and he says, I'm with all y'all. <laughs> I'm with all of you. You know, this journey with Jesus is not a solo pursuit. I'm with all of you. When we hear Jesus say, I'm with you, oftentimes we think, okay, well, that's nice. Jesus is with me when I wake up in the morning. He's with me when I go to class. He's with me when I leave campus. He'd be with me if I went to Iowa City. He'd be with me anywhere. Iowa City friends, we love you. And yes, he is with you. But I think that Jesus wants to encourage us to know that Jesus is also with us. I read a survey that said that 80% of people living in the United States um, who profess Christianity as their faith believe that you can have um, a meaningful and deep relationship with God without being a part of a community or a church. And uh, I want to push back against that. Because if you see this verse, and you see the teachings of Jesus, he doesn't let us get away with that. Walking with Jesus is not a solo pursuit. There are going to be parts and pieces of Jesus that you will never see if you're not involved in community. Can I tell you about my, my niece Addison one more time? Good? Okay, good. I don't know where I'd go in the sermon if I didn't, so good. So we're in these Zoom meetings, right? And I thought that I knew my parents really well. There is a side that comes out of them when Addison is in front of them on the screen that I've never seen before. I thought I knew my parents. But there's this, there's this certain kind of love that comes out of them that I never knew, and they love me really well. And then I look around in that Zoom meeting with my family, right? And I think, I know these people so well. I know my sister so well. I know my sister as much as I've known anybody in my entire life. I've known her for 26, almost 27 years. 
But if it weren't for my brother, I would never know the laugh that comes out of her when he tells a joke. I've known my brother for even longer. I've known John for 28 years. And until he had Addison, I never saw tears come from his eyes in that way. I've known my wife for seven years. Just on Sunday, she was hanging out with one of her friends and they stopped over at our place and this is her friend who's known her for even longer than I've known her. And there's just this smile that this friend brings out of her that I've never seen before and I, I just love it. If that's true with people, how much truer is it with Jesus? Every object looks different from different angles. So it is with Jesus. There are things about Jesus. There are traits of Jesus that you will never know if you don't be a part of community. If you don't look at Jesus side by side with others. And here's the real big kicker. There are people who will never see sides of Jesus if you don't love them. It's not just for you to get something out of the community. It is the community misses you dearly. When Jesus says, I'm with you, he's also saying, I'm with you all. Jesus is with me and Jesus is with us. It's not for us to keep to ourselves. Sharon. Because a lot of people these days are dealing with a phase in their story, a chapter in their story that is very dark. And they're wondering how it's going to end. Your love gets to reveal to them a strength that will finish every story with joy. It all ends in joy the end of that sentence, Jesus, remember, he says, even to the end of the age. Even to the end of the age. You know, stories with happily ever afters have kind of uh, been kicked to the curb over the last century. Somewhere along the line, the 21st century, happily ever afters got a bad reputation and they've been punished at award ceremonies for it over and over again. Those stories are for children. Happily ever afters. Because at some point we stop believing in them. Stephen didn't know how his story was turning out. But even when everything seemed completely insane and he didn't know how it was going to work out, he still knew Jesus was in control. I can't see everything the author's writing right now. But he has immeasurable strength and he loves me immeasurably. Jesus, risen from the dead, is telling us, because I've risen from the dead, happily ever afters exist. When the world ends, at the end of history's story, Jesus is there. 
Even in the end of the age, Jesus is there. What makes a happily ever after so beautiful? If they're real, what makes them so beautiful? It's because no matter how wild or chaotic or devastating the scenery became, there's a turning point. And it takes your breath away. When I was in college, I read through the Lord of the Rings series. And the final book is the one that struck my heart the most. Anybody a Lord of the Rings nerd? There's gotta be some, right? Right on, cool. I heard somebody behind me clap. And the story gets wild and chaotic and devastating. And when all hope seems completely lost, one of the main characters, his name is Sam, he opens his eyes and he sees his friend that he thought was dead. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? What's happened to my world? It is that no matter how wild, chaotic, and devastating it might be, there is a turning point. And it's already happened. In the midst of the chaos, as I'm bewildered and disoriented, when I'm crushed and devastated, my world has still changed. My story is still different forever because Jesus is with us until the end of the age. And so I can walk through this life with a sense of fearlessness. I can experience deep intimacy with God that is so deep and so intimate that it exists within the beautiful relationships that I have with the people God has given me. And I can experience joy. Because Jesus doesn't just say to people 2,000 years ago, he speaks through the words of scripture to you today. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Your life will be wild sometimes. It'll get chaotic. You might be devastated every now and then. But all of the sad things will meet their turning point. They will come untrue. And your breath will be taken away. So at the end of the story of everything, I think it'll look like this. Jesus will be there. You will be there. I'll be there. And we'll have joy. We will be fearless. We will experience intimacy with our God. We will know real community with one another. And we will know joy. 
because the author of your life entered it. And he wrote a turning point you could have never predicted. And that's the story he's sticking with. Let him be your foundation.